Welcome to the sermon podcast of Old Bridge Baptist Church. Our mission at OBBC is to make disciples of Christ who connect with God, others, ministry, and the lost. We pray that the following sermon will encourage you in your walk with Christ today. Visit us on the web anytime at obb.church. I want to deal with this amazing book that you have, and I hope you'll use it this morning indeed if you do have it with you, our amazing Bible. It was back in the early 1970s when the renowned theologian and philosopher uh, and defender of of our faith, Francis Schaeffer, wrote the, the classic book, He Is There, and not silent. He is there and not silent. In that day, it was called a masterful apologetic, defense of the faith. And uh, in a a day when so many are saying there's, there's no God, there's no such thing as truth or objective truth, we need to know that God is there, he is there, and he is not silent. But he has spoken, indeed. God has spoken. He has spoken, and we need to be reminded of that fact. He's not not left us in the dark, that we have to conjure up a God after our own imaginations, a God after a kind of God that we would want to have for ourselves. In Isaiah chapter 1, The prophet writes and says, Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. God is not silent. He has spoken. And he has spoken that we might hear him in Scripture and that we might know him. We cannot find God through uh, any kind of human reason, human experience, we cannot find him through, uh, through philosophy, through any kind of uh, religion or worldly wisdom of any kind. We're not capable of discovering God on our own. We need help. We need his help. And the Bible, of course, is that, that revelation that has come from God. It's that disclosure that God has given to us of himself. We need not be in the dark. The God of the Bible is a God who who lives, is present today, and is a God who speaks. And God has given us that revelation of himself that it might be preserved through the centuries, preserved for you and for me. Passing on oral history or any type of oral communication is is risky business. It's not reliable at all. A number of months ago now, on a Saturday night, Fran and I uh, were sitting in our living room trying to share the gospel with um, with two new neighbors that had recently moved into our neighborhood. When we brought up the subject of the Bible, the, the husband was was quick to mention that how unreliable the Bible was. That it couldn't be trusted, 
that it was totally unreliable. And he likened it to the game that is sometimes played. And I don't know if people even play this, I guess you might call it a parlor game nowadays, where you have a number of people sitting in chairs next to each other. And um, the moderator whispers a secret into the ear of the first person in line. And in turn, that person whispers the secret, the same secret into the ear of the second person, and so on, and so on, all the way down the line. So you finally come to the last person, and he verbally, outwardly, uh, tells what that secret was. Oftentimes, it's not the same secret that number one person heard. Sometimes it changes slightly, or sometimes it changes drastically. Well, this, this husband was saying, that's what it's like with the Bible. It's not reliable. It's not trustworthy because it's changed all through the many, many centuries. Well, that's exactly where he's wrong. That's exactly where this husband was wrong. You don't have that problem when you have a written revelation when you have written communication passed on. The revelation of God was not passed down orally, but it was passed down in writing. And that means it takes on permanency for us. It takes on accuracy for us. It becomes totally reliable, able to be preserved. In the Old Testament, God often told Moses, write this down for posterity, for the future. The Apostle John in the New Testament was told to write what he sees. It's written down. Now, God reveals something about himself in, in different ways. He reveals something about himself in creation, but he has given us special revelation in his written word. That's what we need because that's what stays with us better than anything else. So my goal this morning is simple, to remind you of some things, remind you of some things that perhaps you, well, certainly most of you know already, but in reminding you, it's just to strengthen your heart in the Lord, to strengthen your confidence in your Bible. There are times when the Apostle Paul will uh, write to someone, write to a church, and they'll say, I need to, re to bring some things to your remembrance in this writing. What's he doing? He's reminding them of something. He's reminding them of something perhaps that they already knew, something he already taught them in his writing. But reminders are good. They were good for the people of God in the New Testament, in the Apostle Paul's day, and they are important for us. Now time is not going to permit me this morning to say everything pertaining to my subject, but just give you enough as God's people to strengthen your hearts. Pastor Stan is in the process of preaching through the, the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. Genesis is a book of beginnings. It's a book of origins. That's essentially what the word Genesis means. Origins. Origins of, of lots of things. 
but every issue that were going to be introduced in those 11 chapters are issues that are under attack today. The origin of the universe, certainly, always under attack from the evolutionists. Same thing is true with the origin of man. Where did we come from? It's under attack. The fall of man, the nature of man, always under attack. The world would say, man is good. Yeah, he makes some mistakes, but basically, essentially, he's good. But scripture disagrees strenuously about that. He's not basically good. Uh, Noah's flood, always under attack. The origin of Israel, the right uh, that Israel might exist today, always under attack, especially today, as never before. Well, is your Bible reliable or not? Is it reliable? When the Bible speaks about, about history, about marriage, oh my, always under attack, about gender, certainly that's under attack today, about death, about life after death, about eternity, under attack. Well, is it reliable? Is it authoritative? Or is your Bible just a bunch of ideas that men have written about God according to their own thinking, according to their own imagination, uh, and all these other subjects. What does God say himself about his own word? In Psalm 138, he says that he has magnified his word above his name. He puts a lot of weight on his word. If he does, then we should as well. Let me show you something else, and you can turn to it if you like, in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Here's what the Apostle Paul has to say about uh, the Word of God. In verse 11 of that chapter, he says, As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would work, walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, when you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. He says you received it not as the word of men, but the word of God. And not only that, it's a book, it's writing that, that works in you. It does something in us if we allow it to. It's a supernatural book. It's unlike any other book and every other book ever written. The Word of God. Well, I want to narrow the subject down this morning to one, one simple topic, and that is inspiration. Inspiration. Now, revelation is God revealing or disclosing or showing himself in some way. 
It's the message itself, but inspiration's a bit different. Inspiration is the vehicle that God uses. It's how God took his revelation and sent it through human authors, prophets, apostles, and so on. So they were able to write the exact message that God wanted to communicate with no mistakes. And that's so important. That's the key. No mistakes. We use the term inerrancy. It's inerrant. It is without error. No mistakes. No contradictions whatsoever. It's the means by which God communicated his truth. Indeed, God is there, and he is not silent. He has spoken, and he has spoken clearly. He has spoken authoritatively, but he also used human authors for that communication. So what does God say about his own word? Number one, it's inspired. It is inspired. And the, the key text for that is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. What is it? What does it mean that scripture is inspired, that your Bible is inspired? Paul says in verse 16 of that chapter, all scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is inspired. What does God mean by that? When we say we're inspired to do something, we say it differently or use it differently than God does. Um, we use the term in the sense of being emotionally moved to do something. A songwriter can be inspired in some way emotionally to, to compose a song. A sunset can inspire someone to, uh, to, to paint a picture. A couple of Sunday nights ago now, Fran and I were down at the, uh, the waterfront uh, in Keyport. Uh, a storm had just passed through and uh, it was time for sunset and it was one of the most glorious, most beautiful sunsets I have ever seen in all my years. Uh, people were there taking selfies with the sunset behind them. Uh, lots of people were just moved by it. Uh, if I could paint a picture, I would have been inspired to paint. But that's not the way God uses the term inspiration. He uses it differently. It literally means God breathed. More specifically, God exhaled, not inhaled, but exhaled. God breathed. God breathed out scripture. All scripture is God breathed. All scripture is the breath of God. He spoke it and God produced exactly, exactly what he wanted to be written. He breathed his word out 
But miraculously, he breathed it out through human authors, Old Testament as well as New Testament. So inspiration is supernatural. There's nothing natural about inspiration. It's all supernatural. And those original manuscripts were the very breath of God, the Word of God inspired. Now, we don't have those original manuscripts, but what you have in front of you today or at home has been so carefully and painstakingly copied and preserved through the centuries from the earliest known manuscripts. It's reliable. It's trustworthy. No other documents are God-breathed. In the history of writing, the history of books, no other document is God-breathed the way your Bible is the breath of God. Matter of fact, at the very close of the, the final book in Scripture, it's the Apostle John who writes and he says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy or the writings of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to them the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, shall God take away his part from the book of life from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Now he's not just talking about the book of Revelation. Even if he was, if you're, t if you're adding to the book of Revelation or taking away from it, you're adding or taking away from the whole canon of scripture. And we are prohibited from doing that. And no newly discovered manuscripts are God-breathed. There are, on occasion over the years, you'll see on the news or read somewhere where they discovered some, some ancient manuscript never found before. Oh, it goes back to the time of the Bible even. And interestingly enough, most times we find that, oh, it contradicts the Bible. Should we be surprised? And it gives us new information about Jesus that is different from what the scriptures say. We can reject it. It's not God-breathed. No other document can be God-breathed. But how does it all work? How did God do all of this? I think our most important text this morning is in 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 16. Peter says, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter's talking about the day that uh, he, uh, along with John and the apostle uh, John, James, and Peter were on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they saw the glorified Christ, the Shekinah glory shining out from within his body, a picture of what it will be like in the kingdom, the glory of his majesty. They saw forever, just a very short period of time. 
So in verse 19, he says, We have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What he's saying there is that this prophetic word, this scripture that you have in front of you this morning is more reliable than what Peter saw on the mountain, than what those apostles saw on the mountain that day. Scripture, the truth of Scripture, the Word of God is more reliable than any other human experience. It is the ultimate of everything, beyond all human experience. Verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. He's talking about where we got Scripture from, the source of Scripture. No part of Scripture at all originates from the mind of man. Doesn't come from the mind of man. It reinforces that idea in, verse, in the next verse. The prophecy never came by the will of man. It couldn't be any clearer than that. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Scripture is not an act of human will. No writer of Scripture ever simply sat down and said to himself, you know what, I think I'm going to write the Word of God today. No, it's not as simple, not as simple as that. It's not a matter of private origin, human will. The key word in verse 21 is the word moved. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. A good way to describe that word is, is it means carried along. These holy men that God chose to write scripture were brought along, were carried along like something floating downstream, as it were. They were chosen by God, carried along by the Holy Spirit. So he used the Old Testament prophets, the gospel writers, the writers of the epistles, John, Paul, etc. At times, God told the writers what to write. But most often, he allowed them to use their own writing style, as we all have our own writing style. Permitted them to use that style. Permitted them to use their own vocabulary. But at the same time, given all that freedom, the Holy Spirit carefully controlled them so that what they wrote was the Word of God. You see, it's the very breath, exhaling of God, with no errors whatsoever and no contradictions. And so these writings, the writings were inspired. The very breath of God. Your Bible is a miracle, an absolute miracle. It's an act of God, not man. In Psalm 33 and verse 6, the psalmist says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, by the breath of his mouth all their host. If a, an almighty God is able to do that, to create everything by his own word, by his words, you think he was able to give us uh, an inerrant, mistake-free word 
through fallible men, and they were fallible. They were sinful men, as we are. But of course, God's able to do that because of his Holy Spirit. Well, how did we get it? From God to the writers of Scripture, and finally to you, to me this morning. How did we get it? Well, the early church recognized which writings were inspired, which ones were not. See, they looked at the various writings and they saw clear evidence that certain ones had the mark of being the breath of God, being from God, and not the mind of man. So in that sense, the church didn't give us the, the New Testament. That's like saying Isaac Newton gave us the law of gravity. No, Isaac Newton didn't do that. He simply recognized it. And he, he identified it. And that's what the church was able to do with the New Testament. God gave gravity, and God gave us what we call today the canon of Scripture, our Bibles. And both the Old Testament and the New Testament have been, have been universally affirmed through the centuries as the Word of God, the only Word of God. First Peter chapter 1 verse 23 Peter says having been born again not of corruptible seed but incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass the grass withers its flower falls away but the word of the Lord he says endures forever. It is God's truth to us. We don't need anything else from God except what we already have in his inspired holy word. And it has been so carefully preserved for us all these centuries. The Bible is the word of God. It doesn't merely contain the word of God. No, it is the word of God. In its entirety, it is the Word of God. The Book of Mormon can't make that claim. The Koran can't make that claim. You can reject all of those. This is reliable. This comes from the living God. It's the Word of God. God has spoken. He's not silent. He has spoken. And what he has to say, according to the Apostle Paul, as he writes to Timothy, it's profitable or it's good or useful for us for, for doctrine, for teaching, for, for reproof. In other words, it rebukes us when we are wrong. It rebukes us in our sin. It's good for correction. It corrects us and tells us what is the right way to live, what to do for instruction in righteousness that we might become mature people of God. That's all we need. That's all we need. It's complete. Your Bible is reliable. It's trustworthy. It is worthy of our reverence. It's worthy of our devotion. And as I close, let me ask you one simple question. How much time do we devote to it? Not nearly enough, is it? Shame on us. 
so great, so awesome a book. I think God challenges us to know it, to read it, commit yourself to, to discover who God is through scripture, that we might know him better. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving this, this miraculous, supernatural book. Thank you for not just leaving us as orphans, wander alone in this world, but you've given us direction. You've given us absolute truth, which will never, ever change. Lord, create in us by your spirit and by your grace a hunger for you, a hunger for your word that can only be satisfied by being in your word more than we are. Help us by your grace today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.